So I'm going to read uh, Mark 8, 1 through 10 out of the ESV. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Hey, uh, it's good to be with you this morning. If you're new, my name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Church Odessa. Thank you all for being here. Wyatt, thank you for letting us have the privilege of baptizing you. Welcome to the the family, my brother. Um, Yeah, if you need a Bible, we have them in the back. We use the ESV. You can raise your hand. Someone will will bring you one. If you're a guest, there's a connect card under your chair. You can take a minute, fill that out. Uh, Let us know how we can connect with you. Let us know how we can serve you as a church. Um, If you can go help yourself, my brother. (laughs) That's that's my son. He can get his own Bible. Um, the uh, Connect card on the flip side has, has prayer requests. Uh, if so, if you need prayer for anything, Mark and I take a, try to take a minute every week and pray for you guys. Um, and when we don't, <laughs> the Lord convicts us that we need to do that. So write your prayer request, and we will be happy to, and honored to, to pray with you guys. So real quick, show of hands. How many of you in your life have kids or have ever worked with kids in the past? Like if you're a teacher or you've been a little league coach or you're a parent, you work with kids in some capacity. Show of hands. Okay, cool. You guys are the, the brave ones. Um, one of the more humorous aspects of parenting and doing stuff with my kids so far has been sports. Like t-ball specifically. Uh, All of these kids are in, like, baseball pants now that are too big for them, so they look like little MC Hammers running around. Um, One kid's always laying down in the outfield. One kid hits the ball and he either runs to third base or he chases the ball. Uh, One kid's dad is out there taking it super seriously. My son... uh, He's grown up, he's past us now, but he would round the bases, cross home plate, and he'd run and he'd trip and fall, but it was like not a trip, he was like intentionally falling, and the crowd would always cheer and laugh, and it was like super cute like three times, and then he realized like they're all laughing at me, like they think this is funny, so then he did that every game, every season, three times a game, uh, because it would make everybody in the stands laugh. He's my son for sure, he's a lot like me, uh, just wants to, wants to get the laughs. Kids are like super funny, right? And then they're also super frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we try to lead them in a certain way, especially if you're a parent, you're probably just trying your best, right? Um, if you're a parent who follows Christ, maybe you're like, like me, you're just 
praying that the Lord's going to remain faithful and you just don't screw it up too bad, right? Anybody else? There's a lot of mmm when I said that. <laughs> I did youth ministry for seven years, and it felt a lot like parenting, except without the responsibility of having to buy those kids things. Um, I had two different jobs as a student minister. Both of them were vastly different from the other. One, I was working amongst a group of kids in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. These kids did not have anything. Um, Most of their parents were gone for various reasons. Mom working two or three jobs just to keep lights on. Dad's just gone and not around. Just a lot of brokenness. And then I worked another job here in Odessa for some of the I was the student minister amongst some of the wealthier families in town, and their physical needs were, like, being met in abundance. Uh, And then they still just, like, had a lot of brokenness. It just, the brokenness just looked completely different. And that's probably for a different sermon. Um, For the past eight years, I've been working primarily with adults, and I honestly love what I'm doing. I love working with, with adults. But some days it's just really hard. It's hard because uh, the human heart is just so incredibly wicked and sinful. Because of that, we are not innately wired for holiness. We're not innately wired to choose God on our own. At conception, we are sinful. We are wired towards selfishness. Without correction or discipline, we continue in that path our whole life. Without the grace of God, spiritually, we will continue on that path towards sin and death and destruction. Because it seems that no matter how hard we try, no matter the amount of brokenness we experience, it seems like our hearts are inclined towards it. It seems like we like it. And sometimes it's spiritual, right? Meaning, if you are a Christian... There will be times when you experience spiritual warfare. There will be times when you're attacked by the enemy. There will be times that you endure trials and sufferings for the sake of following Jesus. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've done anything incorrectly. It doesn't mean you have a lack of faith. Sometimes you just suffer for the sake of following Christ. And when you do so, you are actually getting to share in Christ's sufferings. And when you endure and when you persevere, your faith is being strengthened. Your faith is being perfected in Jesus. If you are experiencing this currently, don't despair. Christ sees you. Christ wants you. Christ is with you. And this is part of what they call the sanctification process, the process of growing to become more and more like Jesus. It's really easy to grow in Christ when things are easy, right? When your life feels really easy, it's really easy to stay connected to Jesus. But what happens in your life when the world presses in on you, when the world squeezes you? I'd submit to you this morning, church, that that is where your faith is truly revealed. When all you have to lean on is Jesus, are you going to lean on Jesus? On the other hand, I've noticed, having worked with and pastoring people from like the ages of birth to death, it's sometimes not spiritual. Sometimes we just make really dumb decisions. 
Just me? For example, one time when I was old enough to know better, I'm really embarrassed to say this, but I'm going to, uh, I looked in the freezer and I saw something tasty, like a popsicle dripping on the metal bar. And I stuck my tongue on it and it ripped it off. <laughs> and I couldn't talk very well. You remember a few weeks ago when I had COVID? Uh, I didn't really have COVID. I was just nursing a tongue injury. Not, that, I'm just kidding. I really did have COVID. That happened, you know, like six months ago. Uh, that's not true either. That was, I was younger. It doesn't matter. Uh, it would have been foolish for me. Let's get back on track here. It would have been foolish for me to, like, say my tongue injury was spiritual warfare, right? I just did something really stupid. I stuck my tongue to the freezer. That's dumb. Sometimes you want to say it's spiritual. But let's just be honest with ourselves. Sometimes it's just we're so quick to forget the goodness of God to us. We're quick to forget his promises. We're quick to forget his commandments. And then we do foolish things in the process. Man, if you're walking in sin, if your life feels like it's in shambles because you're walking in sin, just keep in mind, it's because of your sin. The spiritual component is probably not spiritual warfare. It's probably your need for faith and repentance. You need to rest in the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. Man, in parenting, we tell our kids over and over and over the same things, and they still don't get it. Like anybody else, or am I the only bad parent in here? Um, in Christianity, it is very much the same. Christ has revealed himself to us. God has revealed his will for our lives through the scriptures, and our hearts are prone to wander and forget. So I would invite you this morning as we walk through this text to really consider areas in your life where you've forgotten the goodness of Jesus to you. I would invite you to really allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. Really just remind yourself of God's presence. Remind yourself of God's power. Remind yourself of the faithfulness of Jesus to you this morning. Man, I really just ask that you would all just take a humble posture this morning before this text and really consider areas of your life where you need to repent and where you need to believe in Christ. So I want to pray to that end this morning and pray that Christ would reveal himself to us, and then we're going to walk through this text. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, help us to see our need for you this morning. Lord, show us areas right now in this moment where we are wandering away from your good and perfect will for our life. Lord, may we see you for who you truly are this morning, Lord, and rest in that. May we trust the completed work of Christ on the cross. Lord, may we believe the resurrection and the ascension and trust that you are seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us this morning. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, it says, In those days when, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. 
And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. So the text starts by saying, in those days. The last two weeks, our text, we've seen Jesus doing ministry amongst the Gentiles, which means non-Jews in the region of this world. Up until our text two weeks ago, Jesus' ministry was completely limited to the Jews. So what we saw two weeks ago is that Jesus intentionally withdrew away from these Jewish regions to the regions of Tyre and Sidon for some rest and relaxation with his disciples, which again seems to evade him. They enter this house and immediately a woman, a Gentile widow, comes and falls at his feet and begs Jesus to heal her daughter because her daughter is possessed by a demon. And so Jesus immediately doesn't do anything except he tests her faith. This woman in deep, God-given faith responds to Jesus' seemingly indifference towards her, and Jesus commends her faith and heals her daughter from a distance. And then last week, we saw Jesus have another encounter with another Gentile. This time it was with this guy who was deaf and mute, and Jesus was incredibly compassionate. And he heals this man. And then he instructs this man and his friends, don't say anything about this encounter. And they didn't listen to him. The more he instructed them, the more they seemed to disregard his command. So I want that to be a word of caution for you this morning. We can oftentimes like the benefits of Jesus without actually being followers of Jesus. We can see and experience things from Jesus and it have no lasting effect on our lives. It takes more than admiration of Jesus to actually be a Christ follower. Man, God's grace is good, right? But because of the cross, we get to experience it. Because of the cross, God is willing to forgive our disobedience. And God is willing to forgive our indifference towards him. But if that knowledge doesn't move you to worship, but rather it moves you to more sin because you think God is going to forgive you, or you remain indifferent towards Christ and towards the church, I'd ask you this morning just to reconsider that position. God is gracious, yes. God is slow to anger, yes. God is abounding in steadfast love, yes. But the text also says he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Do not continue to walk in ongoing, unrepentant sin and think that God is going to tolerate that. So the last two weeks, we've seen a compassionate Jesus towards non-Jews. So what that means is the kingdom of God is now being revealed through Jesus Christ, and it's now available beyond the nation of Israel and has extended to all nations. We will see this like fully come to fruition uh, at the resurrection. But in the meantime, Jesus is preparing for not just Jews to experience him, but that all of humanity would be able to know God and experience him. So the text says, in those days, the days when Jesus was teaching in the Gentile region, a large crowd was around him, which isn't uncommon, and he called his disciples and confirms for us what we already know because we've seen it. What we already know about Jesus. Jesus sees the crowd and he says, I have compassion on this crowd. They've been with me for three days. They haven't had anything to eat. Man, a lot of them have traveled a good distance. 
If we send them away now, they're not going to make it home. So keeping in mind, Jesus has gone to this region for some rest and some relaxation and some intentional training of his disciples. In this conversation Jesus is having with his disciples, we're seeing discipleship occur. Jesus Christ is not only himself compassionate, he is the great sympathizer, and he wants his disciples to share in this compassion. Jesus includes them in this conversation not because Jesus has no idea what he's about to do. He includes them not because he's at a loss for what to do, but because he wants to awaken them to their responsibility. He wants them to take heart the problems faced by the hungry multitude. Jesus wants them to look at these problems faced by these people and recognize them as their own problems. One commentator suggests that without compassion towards others, it is not possible to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. As followers of Christ, as followers of Jesus, Jesus is our example. So, we have to care for what Jesus cares about. Man, if we're not following Christ's example, what exactly are we doing? Man, Christ has called us to love and devotion to him. And then he's called us to radical obedience to the things of him. Loving our enemies. Praying for those who have sinned against us. Going in love to people who don't know Christ. Having people in our homes that aren't believers. Discipling one another in faith. Fostering and adopting. Sharing the gospel with our neighbors, co-workers, and friends. Showing compassion to the needs of the marginalized in our communities. And man, loving the other members of our church in really tangible and practical ways. And all of that in the name of Christ. Not any of it in and of ourselves. You're not doing this to elevate yourself. You're not doing this to elevate what you can do, but to exalt Christ and what he has done for you. Is your life marked by service and sacrifice and forgiveness of others? Or are you just idolizing yourself? If it's not marked by service to Christ and it's not marked by service to others, you are not alone, so take heart. Christ is gracious to you because look at the disciples. At the very least, these poor dudes, at the very least, these guys should know what Jesus is about to do. Because like our text six weeks ago, Jesus feeds a crowd of 5,000 people, so they should know. We've seen Jesus do this before. They should say, Jesus, we know you can do this because we've seen it. And then beg him to do it again. And then tell the crowd, hey, relax. Help is on the way. And guess what? They missed it. And look at the response of Jesus. He doesn't chastise them for their unbelief. He isn't critical. No, he's really kind and compassionate. And he invites them yet again to be witnesses to what he's going to do. Look at the text, verse 4. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. 
and he directed them, uh, directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that there also should be set before him, that these also should be set before them. So this is the second miracle of this nature. Previously, Jesus fed a crowd of 5,000 men, not to mention the women and children that were there. We know from the text and what was happening at this time that this was a Jewish region. Um, Jesus, in, in this miracle, Jesus instructs them, the Jewish region people, 5,000 crowd, to sit down in the grass. And there are like towns and villages around them. So now we're seeing Jesus feed 4,000 Gentile men, not to mention women and children. But this time they're in a barren region. In Texas terms, this is the difference between like West Odessa and the hill country. So like one is lush and green and has some resources and nice stuff to look at and water and food is available. And the other is, well, just a dirt patch. Right? If you've been out there and you've escaped with your life, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Man, his disciples take note of this. They're like, Jesus, there's not even a Walmart in West Odessa. Apart from Jesus, apart from his power to perform miracles, this present terrain is, is worthless as a source of a food supply. And ultimately, the disciples have failed to see yet again a lesson that they should have learned a long time ago. Jesus, in this place, there isn't enough bread. There isn't any bread. And if we found any, there wouldn't be enough. Jesus, what are we going to do? Alan Cole, he's a commentator that I read. He says their resources, the disciples, their own resources were so small that they never even thought of them as an option. They never even thought of them as a possibility. And once again, they had not taken Jesus into account. So little had they learned from the feeding of the 5,000. And regardless of their stubbornness, regardless of the hard-heartedness, or their sheer stupidity, man, Jesus just gets to work. The disciples have seven loaves of bread between them. The crowd sat down. Jesus prayed, giving thanks. And then he just began to break the bread and distribute it amongst the crowd. Somewhere, two small fish show up. And I find that kind of interesting that in this desert wasteland here, someone has two fish. Where, where do these fish come from? And how old are they? And are they cooked and ready to eat? This is like maybe the advent of sushi. Um, I don't know. Someone, can of tuna, something. What is actually happening here? Man, Jesus prays. And then he distributes the fish again to the crowd. And look at what happens. Verse 8. It says, And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. Man, they ate till they were full. So then they filled up seven baskets with the leftovers. Another miracle has taken place. By this miracle, Jesus Christ shows us a couple of things. 
Number one, Jesus is, not, uh, Jesus is able not only to perform mighty works as we've seen, he's also able to repeat his mighty works. And number two, Jesus also shows us that he's not only sympathetic to his own people, He's not only sympathetic to the Jews who are in the Old Testament God's chosen people, but now through his forthcoming death, burial, and resurrection, his ministry is not limited to the Jews anymore. In an Old Testament prophecy about the coming Messiah in Isaiah 49, the prophet says that for this reason, the servant of the Lord will bring back the remnant of Israel, meaning the Jews. And then he says that the Messiah will be a light for the nations, so that salvation may reach the end of the earth. Man, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, Christ is redeeming a people for himself from every tribe, nation, and tongue on the face of the earth. And over the last three weeks, we're beginning to see this all starting to take place. And this was the plan from the beginning, that Jesus would redeem a people for himself from every nation on earth. It is not limited to Jews. Christianity today is not an Americanized Anglo religion, but it is people called by God into salvation from every corner of the earth, following God in worship of the Son through the Holy Spirit. Man, this is called the New Covenant. The things of the old are gone. The Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ have been fulfilled. The law has been kept and perfected through him and by him for us. So now we can have access to redemption from Christ and restoration to the Father because of the cross. Man, we can be forgiven. God's wrath has been satisfied through Jesus on our behalf. And in our text today, Jesus Christ feeds 4,000 men in a first century caliche pit. And here is why these things matter. The direct application of this text isn't physical only. It's primarily spiritual. So let me deal with a couple of things that may seem obvious to us, but we're just like these disciples. We're prone to forget it. We're prone to wander. We're prone to not remember things we should have learned long ago, right? So let me, just, let me just run through this list real quick. When you look at this text, Jesus actually prays twice in this text. I want to constantly keep like a Trinitarian view of God in front of you. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, one in three, the nature and character of God. I want to constantly keep that in front of you. Consistently in our walk through the Gospel of Mark, we're reminded that Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God, and yet he is fully man. And as a human man, he is completely dependent upon the Father. Man, if Jesus prays, if Jesus prays, we certainly have no excuse to feel like we can do any of this without prayer. Anybody else struggle with this? When we don't pray, when you do not pray, you may not realize this, but what you're saying is you do not need the Lord. 
When you don't pray, you're communicating you can do it on your own. You have become your own God. And that is going to lead you to despair. That is going to lead you to nowhere good. So we need to pray. And we need to be prayerful in all circumstances. Not just around our dinner tables and not only when things are bad. Jesus prays in thankfulness. Also what these prayers and this miracle reveal to us is this. Jesus is our provider. That is true in a physical sense because he feeds the crowd with food. And that is also true in a spiritual sense. Jesus is thanking God in these prayers for his provision for us. The provision for the food, meeting a very real physical need, right? But he's also using this moment to meet a very real spiritual need in the life of the disciples and in the life of the crowd. God is here, is what he's saying. God is here, and things are about to change. And for us, because Jesus is enough, that is important. Jesus is our provider because he is enough for us. The leftover food that they pick up in those baskets signifies that Jesus' provision for us are more than we could ever, ever imagine and more than we would ever need because Jesus is sufficient for us. Jesus is sufficient to satisfy our needs. Jesus is sufficient to satisfy your deepest longings. And Jesus has already satisfied the wrath of God on your behalf, and that is really good news. I want to call you back to the compassion of Christ just for a second. We've seen this in our walk through, through the Gospel of Mark, but I want to highlight the last three instances for us yet again because I really think we need to think deeply and consider what's happening here. It may be difficult for us to understand, you know, 2,000 years removed from, from this text, what exactly it is that's taking place here. In the eyes of the Jews, Jesus would be expected to not have compassion towards non-Jews. It's actually pretty scandalous that he is even interacting with these people at all. It's very scandalous that he is being so intentionally kind and compassionate and so intentionally kind in meeting needs of people who are outside of his, his race, who are outside of his ethnicity, and who are outside of his religious sphere. But Jesus is clear in his mission. Redemption for the world through him. Now as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are called to be disciples. Disciples mean learners. And so as learners of Jesus, this means that Christ is our example, right? So let me ask you this. Are you following Christ's example in this, in Christ's compassion? Are you following his example? Man, I really, as your pastor, it'd be great if all of you would like read your Bible and pray. Um, I really want that for all of you. Read your Bible. Pray. But the Christian life doesn't stop there. Man, if all we're doing is gathering knowledge through Bible study, and again, I'm not knocking Bible study because this is very important, but if all we're doing is like just consuming the Bible and not replicating that into other people, who aren't as far along in their faith, then I think we're missing a huge component of what Christ is calling us to. Man, Christ's call is to make disciples. 
So if you're not making disciples, you are missing a huge component of following Christ. I want to encourage you with this. If you are a believer in Jesus, you can do this. If you know how to read, and I mean like read, top to bottom, left to right, group of words together as a sentence type reading. If you know how to read, you can read your Bible and you can read your Bible with someone else. And you can teach someone else. You were called and equipped through Christ to do this. You aren't called just to sit and consume. You were called to go and tell. Man, if you're not meeting with someone from this church for intentional discipleship, like, you can do that. Let's change that. If you need help finding a person, if you need help getting started, we can help you. If you don't know any unbelievers, that might be an issue as well. Jesus goes to those who are far from God and in love ministers to them in a very real and tangible way. Man, in our context, we need to be leveraging our homes and our resources for this very same thing. I'm asking a lot of you, I know, but if you really understand the depths of your sin, and if you really understand God's grace, we have to be a people called by grace and be gracious to others who don't know Christ. And it's really easy to hang out with people who look like us, who believe like us, who vote like us. It's something altogether different, all otherworldly, to be invested in people who are none of those things. It's incredibly Christ-like to invest in people who are far from God and who need the compassion of Jesus in their lives. And if you want to learn how to share your faith, we have a training next week. If you want practice in sharing your faith, Mark and I go to UTPV every Tuesday meeting students, many of whom are just searching for meaning in this life. And that won't be found outside of Christ. And we just need a lot of help. So here's what I want to leave you with this morning, and we'll be done. Because Jesus is our provider... We have everything we need in him. So here's some things that I know because our church is small. Um, I have a really cool opportunity to try to know every single one of you. Some of you I, I know better than others, obviously, but I know a lot of you pretty well. And here's what I know because of that. I know a lot of your lives are really hard. I know a lot of you are hurting I know some of you deal with stuff that I can't relate to. I know some of you deal with stuff that I don't understand. And some of you have just experienced a lot of hard in your life. Some of you are currently experiencing hard in your life, and some of you may not be, but it may be coming for you. Man, sometimes just following Jesus is hard, yeah? Man, when life squeezes us, when our life gets hard, when these things happen, sometimes we run to anything other than Christ and his word. We'll run to like excessive alcohol consumption or pornography or random escapism through social media or compulsive shopping or another person who isn't our spouse or on and on and on and on we could go. So as believers, here's a couple of things I want to offer you 
man, you need the encouragement of the church to come alongside you, to bear your burdens, to point you back to the gospel. You need the fellowship of the bride of Christ to lift your chin and to remind you of the goodness of Jesus when your desires for him are lacking. We need each other. Community is so vitally important for us, and I think it's a lot harder to follow Christ alone, and honestly, we're not really called to that. Number two, believers, unbelievers in here, either one, don't put your hope in anything other than Christ's work on your behalf. Nothing else in this life will ever truly satisfy you. Nothing else in this life will ever truly satisfy the longings of your soul other than Jesus. The stuff we buy to satisfy our discontentment in this moment ends up in your garage sales a few years later. Running to sex outside the confines of marriage leads to relational destruction and brokenness. And I think I could give you like a thousand more examples, but I'm pretty sure you may already be thinking about those already. Things that we use to try to fill voids in our lives that aren't of Christ. Rather, Man, we need to be feasting on the word of Christ and communing with him through prayer. Because there, that's where we're we're reminded of the most important thing that I'm going to say to you today. So if somebody's asleep next to you, give them one of these, wake them up. Um, Believers in Jesus, if you don't remember anything else I say to you this morning, remember this. As we've established, people are quick to forget quick to forget the goodness of God, quick to forget lessons from God that we should have already learned a hundred times over, right? Um, Christ, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion. So, know this. Because of Christ's past faithfulness to me, I can trust him now. His past faithfulness commands my present trust. Believer, Do not grow weary from doing good. Believer, if it feels like it's hopeless, if you feel alone and isolated, that just isn't true. Christ is not done with you. Christ is faithful to teach you to depend on him. And guess what? If we don't learn that lesson, we'll probably have to repeat the lesson. We'll probably have to repeat the trials. But Christ is faithful to you. Man, Christ is worthy to be trusted. If we can trust him with our eternities, we can certainly trust him with today. So Christ is inviting you to repent of your unbelief. Christ is inviting you into faith and fellowship with him. Christ is inviting you to trust that he's working even today, even when it feels like he isn't. Jesus is not idle. Jesus is not indifferent. Jesus is gracious, gracious and compassionate towards you. Christ went to the cross for you. That's how we know he's gracious and compassionate because Christ went to the cross for you. God did not sacrifice his own son in vain. Christ is worthy to be trusted because he has defeated sin and death on your behalf. Let's see him for who he truly is this morning and trust him and worship him this morning in spirit and truth. Let's pray.